0: What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex.
1: I'm Justin. Sup, I'm Pete.
0: And on The Stack, we have a ton of comic books to talk about. It's July 4th. It is our independence from not reading comic books. We are now reading comic books. We're declaring the,
1: our dependence on comic books. Oh, that's true. That's yeah, yeah. We are uh, And we are dependent. very dependent
0: because there's a ton of great stuff that come out this week. Why don't we kick it off though with a big event that DC is doing over the next 2 months called Night Terrors. This is very similar to the Future State event that they did about a year and a half ago at this point where they took out their whole line. Uh, Future State jumped forward into the way future of the DC Universe, some of the plot lines did tie back to things that were happening in the regular plot line, or teed up new characters, or things like that. Uh, here, we're ostensibly getting something the same, where the entire DC Universe is flung into their nightmares, but the promise is, no, no, this is not an imaginary story. These are happening to the real characters. They're going to impact them in some way. So there's a bunch of them that come out this week. I'm going to read off all the titles, and then why don't we talk about what we think about this kickoff to the event as a whole, as well as any standout. So the first book you got to read, you got to start with this one is night terrors. First blood number one from DC comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Howard Porter the framing for the event. There's going to be two more issues, I believe, of this. Maybe four. Who even knows? Should have looked it up. Uh-huh. We also got Night Terror's The Joker, number one, from, uh, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Stefano Raphael. Oh, yeah. Night, Night Tower's Batman, number one, written once again by Joshua Williamson, art by Gil March and David LaFuente. Night Terror's Poison Ivy, number one, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Adagon Ilhan. Night Terror's Ravager, number one, written by Ed Bryson, art by Dexter Soy. And Night Terror's Black Adam, number one, by Jeremy Hunt. On. So that all said
2: what do you guys think about this one what were your takeaways Pete Well first off you don't you just got to read that first one right and then you can kind of go with any order it's just yes. that first, yeah, yeah exactly
0: yeah. so the idea of the event is there is essentially an evil dead man called Insomnia this is a spoiler for the first issue Insomnia. but it explains what's going on who is looking Scary. for the nightmare stone the uh, uh, partner I don't know, the opposite of the dream stone that used to be held by Dr. Destiny, a character who is very familiar from old school Justice League fans, as well as Sandman. He shows up there in a couple of standout issues early on in the run of that. And Insomnia plunges the entire DC universe into nightmares in order to find this nightmare stone. It is hiding in the nightmares of either a hero or a villain. We don't know. Yes, that's what he's searching for.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say I like this um, type of event where mostly the uh, creative teams who are working on the books get to continue writing the books into the event because then we get some just unique stories and interesting takes that still follow stuff that's happening in the main book without having to be fully leaving behind all the ideas. For instance, the Poison Ivy issue I thought was great. brings um, these characters, the uh Ivy at the center of this sort of love triangle, almost, maybe. I don't quite know exactly what it is, but to explore that in this dream world, I think was awesome.
2: Pete, what's your take so far? Well, it's it's really scary, man. Uh, this is some really effed up stuff. Some of these covers are going to haunt me uh, in my nightmares for the rest of my life. So thanks, DC. I don't know. Sometimes I'm getting tired of like, what if we make it darker and scary, no, like more dark, like even scarier. So I don't know about that. But um, there, what I like about it is the creativity behind doing something like this and the kind of different playing field that they all have to kind of work on. So that part I uh, enjoy. But man, some really like the Joker, number one, like. Uh, You know, spoilers, but what happens to Batman, like I was I was like, yo, this is really really fun stuff. It was funny. Yeah, ah, I laughed out loud. I was funny. giggling. Uh, well, I,
0: I, let me talk about this for a second because I do think, to me, the Joker is the one that worked the best for me, at least in this first week. I also really like the sort of events. I like line-wide events. They're fun. Uh, like you said, Justin, I think this is very different from Future State where that seemed ostensibly to give the teams a break so that other people could come in so that they could kind yeah. of get ahead on the schedule. Here, this mostly is the teams, so this is more a continuation of what is currently happening in the titles. Um, So like you said, the Poison Ivy thing falls directly out of the Poison Ivy run. Joker doesn't exactly follow out of Matthew Rosenberg and Stefano Raphael's run on The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing, I think is the title. But Mm -hmm. the rest of these books felt to me a little, not totally, but a little samey just because they're all using nightmare dream logic where I got to a point after reading four or five of them where it felt like somebody describing a dream to me where I was like, just, just settle on a story, man. Just like I'm reading a story here. Stop being like, Oh my God. And then there's crocodiles and the crocodiles turned into staircases that I was walking up. And it was so weird because then I was at my school and it's just settle on something, focus it on the characters that I care. And that to me is what happens with the Joker where he gets what should be his fondest wish. Batman dies in the stupidest way possible right at the beginning of the book. He trips and falls and hits his face and
2: dies.
1: And then, like and slides, slides off. Slides
2: and... off. So Just, funny. The that that that's funny to you? Okay, I yes. thought
1: it was funny. Uh, well, so I thought, thought it was funny, was... but Alex and I are both Jokers. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And yeah, then the part. Joker gets a corporate job, which is essentially his nightmare. Nobody, but the actual nightmare that they're playing with here is nobody really cares about him anymore or cares about his jokes and all he really well, yeah. wants is attention. Attention, and so what I, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, and so what I think this did really well is dives into what would be the Joker's greatest nightmare versus a lot of the rest yeah. of the books are like, what if they were in a nightmare world, which to me is a slightly different thing.
1: Well, I actually, I, I hear your criticism, but to me, I actually like the different uses of dream logic. Like the Black Adam issue was very much like, Sort of a oh wash of images, and you're sort of just flying around, not a lot of words. Ravager was sort of being in a dream and being like, I can't figure this out, but it's all right in front of my face. Poison Ivy was like, I'm trapped here, why is this weird? The Batman was sort of the classic, like, trying to make sense of a dream. It, almost, yeah. it reminded me of that Batman the Animated Series episode where uh, I think the Scarecrow has... Uh, bruce batman in a dream world mm-hmm. and he sort of doesn't realize it great episode of batman the animated series but i also want to shout out just great art that batman issue uh Gil march and david lafuente in both stories was fantastic like yeah. this type of story lets artists just get crazy because yeah. you're dreaming you can yeah. be stretchy you can be tiny
2: i mean you know, the the two the, things the pearls coming at him down that kind of like hallway thing was really intense and a different kind of take on it. And it's like, man, how many different ways can we see these goddamn pearls? You know, but <laughs> when are uh, we going to
1: get the pearl side of the story? Yeah, I keep oh, asking. my
2: God. Uh, but yeah, I, I think what's nice is the creativity behind this. And even though it's a nightmare scenario and very scary like that one. Black Adam cover where it's, like, a skeleton, like, coming out of the skin. Oh, my God, it was that fucking insane. Uh, But, yeah, I think that overall it's a a fun idea and a cool event where it's, like, okay, uh, they're all kind of stuck in that kind of night terror scenario, which is fun to kind of be like, hey, let's all do this for a little while. Uh, But what was nice is, like, when I got to take breaks from that and go back to uh, regular, uh, you know, DC comics like the, you know, John Kent and stuff like that, where I was like, oh, my God, it just made me appreciate uh, comics and regular comics a little bit more. So it was nice to have that kind of like break in the stack for
1: sure. You get to wake up from your nightmare.
2: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then come on to this nightmare of a
0: podcast. Hey, come <laughs> on! No, no, no,
1: no, no, no. Anyway, good event. Very excited
0: to follow this as it goes. Let's kick it off to a Marvel event in one issue. Captain America 750 from Marvel, written by Taki Anyabuchi, Jackson Lansing, and Colin Kelly, Stephanie Williams, J.M. DiMatteis, Dan Jurgens, Cody Ziegler, and Gail Simone. Art by R.B. Silva, Carmen Carnero, Rachel Stott, Sarah Pacelli, Dan Jurgens, Marcus Williams, and Daniel Lacuna. So this is finishing up Sam Wilson's run, on symbol of truth i am i forget which is set to liberty and which is symbol of truth and then we also get the penultimate chapter of the steve rogers story as well as a bunch of stories about both of them throughout history what did you all think about this issue
1: i thought this was fun we get into some like some of the really covering the territory that these two this crossover has uh, set up like a real great Sam Wilson struggling with uh, the his identity as Captain America, which I thought was cool. Great art, and then uh, Cap and Bucky doing their classic dance of like, "Are we friends?" Yup, we are. <laughs> uh, the we are short friends. dance. It's a short dance. Yeah, uh, we did we that. Friends? Did you yeah.
0: guys do that? I, we did that at my senior prom, and it was super fun. The "Are we friends?" Yup, we are. Dance.
2: Dog <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Pippa loved that dance. It was Pete. What do you uh, think about this one? Uh, this was great. It was a great celebration of the character, great issue, and kind of like uh, also touched upon the TV show where uh, you know we see him struggling to put, pick up the shield a little bit. So uh, it was kind of cool to see that, and I also liked anytime you get Misty and uh, you know Captain America together like that. Um, uh, it's great to see them both. Um, uh, yeah, and also got you – you got some old school stuff in there as well, which I thought uh, was a great kind of package. Uh, they put a lot of stuff in the little time. Great package. For yeah, I will package. say
0: I think the Sam Wilson story that kicks off the issue is maybe my favorite of the run so far. <laughs> I just thought it was a really concrete, precise way to talk about Sam Wilson, what the shield and the costume and being Captain America means to him. There was a fair yeah. amount of tension throughout the story where I was like, oh, my God, are they going to make him give up being Captain America for real? Is that what we're headed towards? Spoiler it was here. His,
1: his choice sort
0: of. Right. And they don't at the end, but also the R.B. Silva art. There are some images in here, particularly during the fight scene towards the end, where there's just an enormous explosion. You have a tiny Sam Wilson at the top with just the shield shielding up. I thought yeah. were phenomenal, um, like absolutely cool. stunning. So yeah. I was well,
1: and I also love like... The way uh, they get attacked, and he's like, I don't know who that was, but that's what it's like. I was like, wow, pretty chill. (laughs) Struggling with the shield gift, but very chill about random blowing them up. yeah,
2: Yeah, yeah, no problem, but yeah.
0: Next up, Barnstormers number 1 from Dark Horse Comics written by Scott Snyder, art by Tula Lote. This is, oh boy, where do where do we even start with this because there's a lot of stuff going
2: on. A lot of twists and turns. You think you're, oh okay, this is what this is about. Nope. Uh, oh, okay, this, so this is what it's about. Nope. This was if not my one of my issues of the week
0: just for the wild yes. turns that it went in, but it essentially over the course of what seems to be two issues in one, I assume this was a comicsology book that's being collected by Dark Horse but but don't quote me on that but i believe that's correct we get to see essentially the start of like a bonnie and clyde type pair but there's a lot of other things that are happening in terms of the lawman that's chasing him in terms of perspective of who's telling the story and also and this is a little bit of a spoiler but it happens first the first issue the main character who is a pilot Uh, is having some sort of hallucinations of a robot called Mr. Baby who's stalking him, but maybe they're real and it's not 100% clear. Uh, I thought this was great, the way that, like Pete was saying, it twists and turns
1: and you don't know what to expect from page to page. The Mr. Baby that haunts me is real, just so if that helps. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, that was a weird name for uh, an evil robot that's stalking you, is Mr. Baby. I kind of feel like creatively somebody was... Really working overtime on that name, and then just said, "Fuck it, we're going with." Well, it's weird baby. because
1: I named my baby Mrs. Robot.
2: Oh wow, that's a twist! Um, yeah, I I think it. What was great? I mean, the art's also fantastic. Really, some beautiful pages, very cool uh, uh, designs and stuff. Um, Loved all the characters, Uh, but man, every time I was like, okay, so this is what it's going to, this guy, he flies around to different towns and does shows for people and they give him money. Okay, I can get it beyond that. Nope. No, it's not about that. So I was really impressed with the pace and how much action and everything that we got in this. So that was, I feel like you really get a lot for your money. Uh, You get a lot of story and comics. So I definitely think it was worth it for that, for sure
1: i have just i just watched the movie the rocketeer before i read Mm -hmm. this so i was like oh look at this fun barnstorming pilot what mischief is he gonna get up to and then it shifts over into like rich bonnie crazy clyde which i thought was uh a fun fun twist and i do think he is having sort of a psychotic break and i'm curious how their love story will uh play out with that going on
0: yeah and by their love story you mean mr baby and the pilot right
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. Swan Mr. songs. Baby.
0: Number one from maybe Cox written by W Maxwell Prince art by Martin Simmons. This is a teaming together. The writer of ice cream man with the artist from, uh, Oh my gosh. Uh, department of truth. Uh, and it is as dark and twisted as you may expect. This is focusing on the literal end of the world and a man who's trying to find one last magazine to read to his mom. Who's dying in the hospital while it happens. We've been big fans of both of these folks. How do you think they paired together?
1: I love this. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but this is an anthology series, right? We're going to get different uh, swan song stories, uh, each issue. And what a fantastic team to bring that to life. I feel like you can see some of the W. Maxwell Prince touches, the Prince uh, fingerprints on this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you hear little uh, notes of Ice Cream Man in here just the great dystopian worlds that he can create and the art is perfect along with it i'm unsurprisingly a fan
2: i mean first off this is an artistic achievement i mean the that last panel could be just like a painting hanging up in a museum somewhere it's unbelievable uh I was just really impressed artistically with what it was doing and how it was telling the story. Uh, Really tripped out and kind of amazing. Yeah, I I was just uh, artistically blown away by it. Yeah.
0: Captain Marvel, Dark Tempest, number one for Marvel, written by Ann art by Paola Villanelli. Unlike the throwback books that we've been seeing from Ann Nacenti and others, this is set in the current Marvel continuity with Captain Marvel leading up the Avengers. but It's taking our off on a solo adventure where he's tangling with a man who explodes. What did you all think about this book?
1: This one was sort of I didn't quite get all like it felt like a lot of disparate elements coming together. And I I didn't quite know exactly what was happening. I sort of like the idea where we end up that Captain Marvel is going to be trapped in another dimension with some annoying students. (laughs) Right. Is that (laughs) what I was like? That was like did not expect this to be sort of the finishing place for this issue. But uh, that feels like a fun uh, starting point for the next issue.
2: It's, it was weird where it's like, and this is the point of your action-packed comic where Captain Marvel talks to millennials and tries to talk them off the ledge. Like, I I, I was just like, hey, kids. Hey, listen, I was once an angsty teen. I was like, what are we doing right now? Um, but uh, I, I do liked, I like the story overall. I like the action. I love the art. I thought it was fun. I'm just a little worried about the Captain Marvel
1: lecturing
2: teens. It moment. is a
1: little, yeah, it's a little luxury, especially the like last third. Yeah.
0: Peacemaker Tries Hard, number three from DC Comics, written by Kyle Starks, art by Steve Pugh. This is for fans of the Peacemaker TV series, as we've talked about with the previous Issues. It isn't exactly set in that continuity, but last issue, Peacemaker was left for dead by Monsieur Mala, who shot him several times, I believe. And this issue, he is dealing with the fact that nobody likes him. We also get to rebeat a classic character from DC continuity here. I continue to have a blast reading this series. I think, as usual, with Kyle Starks, he knows how to hit a joke. Steve Pugh's art perfectly challenges John Cena without. Explicitly being John yeah, it's Cena, okay. yeah, it's John Cena. Pretty
1: right.
2: close. I'm trying to Pretty make gross. excuses here. But it's not. It's not. Pete, you're a big fan of the series, right? What do you? What do yeah, you think about love this, the sure? series. Love this book. I think it's a great kind of continuation of the series, or it feels like it is the series, which I'm very happy about. Um, yeah, so if you're missing the TV show like I am, then this is a great kind of in between. Also, we get some more fun, silly characters, which really works for him. Also, just love that whole bit where the bartender asks how always doing. He goes off on this tirade, and it's like that's not what I was asking at all, man. But yeah, so just uh, it, yeah, it's got all the humor of the show, got all the action and the over top ridiculousness. So um, and yeah, that kind of uh, Red B uh, cameo was glorious.
1: Yeah, love Red B. The barfly that gets killed, I thought everyone was pretty chill about that. Like, they're only... It's like if the characters from Cheers, if they were like, wow, Norm died, and they were like, well, (laughs) let's order another beer. I was like, your your Norm just got wrecked right in front of you. It's fucked up. They would, though. Have you ever watched an episode of Cheers?
0: If Norm got wrecked by a guy who came in the bar, they'd be like, eh. I've read a lot of Another the Cheers. One, um, it,
1: I've I've read a lot oh. of the Cheers expanded universe novels and novellas. So mm-hmm. like that's where I really take in my Cheers content. Yeah, you know what well, I mean. Where the back room can become a bunch of different stuff.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, where, man. Where yeah. everybody knows your name until you die. Right. That's what the-
1: uh, let me say about yeah, uh, Peacemaker like. I like this comic uh, a lot. I love the idea of Superpowered Parole Officer, of course, badass. We have been talking about the Unstoppable Doom Patrol book, and mm-hmm. uh, my take on that was like it feels too mainstream. This feels more like a Doom Patrol book. Mm. Uh, and made with Monsieur Mala being the villain here, I was like, this is a Doom Patrol book, while the other one feels like more of a mainstream peacemaker book.
0: Huh. Huh. All right. Your opinions are all valid. Untold tales of. Could you I say hate-
1: that, Alex? Could you say that after every yeah, every review? <laughs> I would. Lo- I would love that. No, both of us, Pete. You needed to <laughs> absolutely.
0: at least at the end of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Untailed Tales of I Hate Fairyland, number one, from Image Comics written by Scotty Young and Dean Rankin, art by Aaron Conley and Dean Rankin. As you can tell from the title, this is two one-off tales that are not in the current continuity of the rebooted I Hate Fairyland. But in fact, when Gert made her first visit to Fairyland, Pete, you seem pretty excited, so take it away.
2: Yeah, I just uh, I think this is just so fun. And they just nail this whole premise, this uh, adorable uh, girl who is gross and powerful and amazing, uh, taking down this huge dude, you know, doing a little head And I love it. I think it's uh, it's just such a fun idea that they uh, explore and play with in such a cool way. It's just just such a fun, refreshing thing to have in your stack where it's just silly and uh, kind of over the top in all the great ways. So, yeah, you have two really different art styles, but very cool and unique. So, again, a great package and uh, well executed.
1: I love the um, the Captain Planet uh, pig pile that goes on (laughs) in the second story. Very fun. And I agree.
0: X-Men Before the Fall, The Sinister Four, number one from Marvel, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Paco Medina. This is, again, as you can figure out from the title, heading up to Fall of X, the upcoming X-Men event that's going to kick off at the Hellfire Gala at the end of the month now. I will say, obviously, we don't know exactly what the story is going to be, but of the Before the Fall books, this to me feels like the most essential read to understand what's going to be happening in Fall of X. There are some text pages that seem to indicate how clearly everything ties into whatever's going to happen in that event. And also, it'll get you caught up on the very complicated things that Karen Gillan has been doing with Mr. Sinister. The short version is there's not one Mr. Mr. Sinister. There are four versions of Mr. Sinister. One of them has been banished to the pit at the end of the Sins of Sinister event, but there are still three left, and we catch up with them in this issue and find out a lot more about who they are and why they are. Um, I really dug this. I know there's the opposite of what you want out of X-Men, Pete, but I, um, as usual, and I know I've said this a lot, but I feel like Kieran Gillen is the only one who really gets what Jonathan Ickman has been going for or was going for with X-Men. Justin, I want to turn it over to you because you're not the X-hater as well.
1: Uh, I'm an X, X-hater. If there's one thing I've been wanting in my Mr. Sinister, it's more deep, mildly confusing complexity. Yes, Just spinning right? uh, yeah, out of like, control.
2: Oh, well said, dude. Well said. Uh,
1: but having said that, I did like this story, uh, but It just strikes me in this X-Men universe that we've talked about so much. It reminds me of when I was a kid, I'd be building um, a sandcastle. I'd be like, I'll add another moat over here. Or maybe I'll put a castle over here. At some point, you got to let the wave wash it away a little bit. Edit a little bit so you can come back and build some stuff up that isn't quite so uh, all over the place. On the positive side, though, I did think this is a great story. I like sort of the love story that's uh, maybe happening here. And uh, the dinner dance, the great use of text, I thought. So positive story. Uh, I enjoyed the story, but please, let's edit our X-Men universe a little bit more.
2: Man, Justin, I was almost uh, like completely on your side, and you had to ruin it with that positive thing at the end. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. like, hey, uh, do you hate this character? Well, what about if there were four versions of that character, and they were all shittier, and then you had to spend a lot of time with that one clone of a clone of a clone uh this this is uh, this is not fun i'm not having fun with this um the fourth generation sinister on a dinner date although adorable uh was driving me insane because i was like there are so many other things we should be doing right now uh but okay there's always time for a lovely uh, dinner dance situation um, very touching. There was some really uh, actually nice moments in here for sure. But I, I was, I, I had a hard time enjoying them because I was like, I can't believe this is how we're spending our time.
1: But surely I would like to go. Surely go, you've cloned an ex before to continue dating them.
2: No, no. Uh, but I would like to go back uh, to something Alex said. I think uh, Karen Gillum is an amazing writer and, uh, uh, I love, you know, their stuff. Him. I have nothing against him. the writer. Yeah, I think done amazing work. Sometimes you get handed something. You got to be like, all right, I'll do this, I guess. But, you know, maybe it won't be my favorite project. Wow. Oh, that was wow. the end of the sentence. All right.
1: That's well. quite a take on Karen Gillan's uh, station at the ex-office.
0: Why don't we move on, talk about Steelworks, number two from DC Comics, written by Michael Dorn, art by Sammy Basri, Vicente Quifentes, and Max Rayner. This is following the adventures of Steel in the corporate arena, kind of, while people are trying to take him down and attack him. He's trying to shut down, not shut down superheroes, but make it so that superheroes are obsolete. And in
2: this issue, the Superman family is a little has concerns about that, let's say. They're mad.
1: They're yeah. mad. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, this was just such a nice break from the night terror. I was just like, oh, thank goodness. Just we're going to have a <clears throat> a regular comic here. Nobody's having nightmares. So I was happy for that. It uh, made, made it pop a little bit more. But man, yeah, it's, you know, it kind of gets into the old, uh, uh, you know, chords here where it's kind of like, where is the line with the power that super uh, beings should wield, which I don't think is a fun topic. But. Uh, it was kind of funny how, like, the Superman family flew in to have a talk about it. And they're like, um, I don't know if you can tell, but we're kind of all in on this. Superheroes can do whatever the F they want because these kids are just picking up your hammers willy nilly and playing with them in the background while we're trying to have a mm-hmm. conversation. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was a, it's a cool idea and uh, uh, fun, that uh, what DC's doing here. It's gr- I love the Steel family, like uh, liked to kind of see them talk with the, the Superman family, so that was a cool kind of crossover moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say this was adorable, fantastic art.
1: I mean, shouts to Michael Dorn. How many uh, writers are drawn into a, a different comic book that we're going to talk about in a minute? And not nice.
0: many. I, I, I'm not totally into the series yet. I think like, I like the idea and maybe this is contrasting with you, Pete, but I like the idea of him being like, nope, we're not going to do superheroes anymore. We're going to drill into ideas. That's what we're going to do here for Metropolis. But, and maybe this is just part and parcel with it being a superhero book, but the fact that like, They need to drill into – instead have these superhero fights. And Steel's like, I'm not going to be a superhero while he's bashing somebody with an enormous hammer. I just want the book to make a choice. That's all at this point. I think it's
2: working towards that choice.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Steel working. It's weird work. It's weird work. And so is this next book, Weird Work, number one from Image Comics, written by Jordan Thomas, art by Shaky Kane. This is a weird book. Period. Yeah. (laughs) Period. Uh, I don't know. There's like it's ostensibly a detective story, but it's set in a world where kind of anything could happen and anybody could be anybody. So very very strange. Uh, What did you guys think of this one?
1: It's really just a vehicle for Shaky Kane's great uh, artwork. (laughs) Uh, Love this stuff. Uh, And it the 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 vibe sort of has like a Mike Allred vibe. If you like Madman, I think this is a good comic that if you want to dive into. Really interesting art st- detective story set in a wild, wild world. Uh, so, very fun. All right, uh, brief uh, programming note um, Alex's basement is currently flooding. So, he had to go deal with that. It sounded oh, intense. So, let's uh, wish him the best as we yeah, move forward. Well, hopefully,
2: uh, if you're living in Brooklyn right now, hopefully, you're not getting flooded. Um, yep. I live and in Brooklyn, I'm not Justin home. gets home <laughs> to yep. a clear basement.
1: Yep. Uh, fun times. Hopefully, I wish we were talking about a, um, a Namor comic or Aquaman right now because I think that'd be oh, like man. in the spirit. But um, let's move on and talk about Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number no. five from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Clayton Henry. This is uh, continuing the Injustice story, which has been, I would say, a big swing. Uh, for John Kent, the John Kent Superman story—it's mm-hmm. taken him. We've spent a lot of time building up um, so much goodwill with the the this ca- this character, this Superman, and all the characters, the relationships built around him. But um, I don't, know, Pete. What do you think? I've been enjoying this um, injustice storyline. It's like sort of the lightest touch multiversal story going right now.
2: Well, I mean, again, this was nice to not have a nightmare comic, um, but I. Um, I hate seeing Batman and Superman fight, um, you know, like it, the uh, the kind of thing that kind of happened towards the end there where people are arguing. It's just uh, it's
1: but, like your you know, parents. I don't
2: like, I don't like seeing my parents fight, you know what I mean? So it makes me uneasy. So I don't. Uh, yeah, this wasn't an enjoyable. Uh, and just to be clear, I,
1: one of your parents is like a Kryptonian and the other sort of travels in darkness solving crimes, right?
2: Yeah, I'm, you've met my parents, right?
1: Yeah, they're and honestly lovely. They're lovely. <laughs> really great, really great combination. They're almost, you know, like brave and bold.
2: You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I could see why you would say that.
1: Yep. And put that uh,
2: together till now.
1: Yep, the um, I like uh, I like this. the The art continues to be great. Tom Taylor, yeah, uh, great yeah. writing, really uh, continuing to crystallize John Kent as a a true Superman. Uh, yep. I think is what you can the inspiring Superman for Injustice Planet. Uh, let's move on and talk about Thor Annual Number One from Marvel, written by yes. Con Kelly and Jackson Lansing. and Al Ewing, art by Ibram Robertson and Martin Cacalo. Uh, this uh, having like a giving Thor something we all demanded his own Modok uh, named yeah. Mythos, and then uh, um, in a backstory, sort of setting up some uh, Thor stuff for the future, getting his hammer all fixed up. All what right. All right. First off,
2: this comic artistically is an, an achievement. It's amazing. It's I mean the the way this starts, the action, the it's just. The style of the art, the paneling, really impressive, really, really impressive. I, even Modok looks cool in this comic. Like that's how great the art is.
1: I'm just uh, saying, does everybody need a Modok? I, I'm full up on Modoks. No, you know, you're I don't. A Modok full. I'm Modok full. I've had a lot hmm. of them. I think it's um, it as been a lot
2: of recent for sure. Yes. And MODOK's Modok a comes weird idea. and
1: goes. You know, he's
2: mostly gone. Uh, but he's been around a lot. Um, I, d- I, I understand you being over right now, but this yeah. version was so cool. I was
1: just like, all right, I'll give it to you. And then the backup, uh, what do you think about Thor finally getting his hammer fixed? It felt weird to see the cracky, cracky, um, Mjolnir. So, it was well, nice he- I
2: mean, if you're just watching Ted Lasso on a loop right now, the kind of like putting the believe sign back together and the hammer coming back together, that's not a coincidence, man yeah you know mm-hmm. I, mean?
1: I would actually For argue that's the that, Ted lasso of the Marvel world that's the definition of a coincidence, but uh sure uh, <laughs> but sure uh, if you uh, happen to be doing two things at once and they make you think uh something similar that's a quinky dink uh, well, but you uh,
2: know it's that it's that kind of thing of like the kind of like gold inlay when you're putting things together and making it stronger than it's ever been. It's a beautiful philosophy and a, a nice kind of thing. So I thought it uh, was kind of nice here at the end of the Thor comic.
1: Don't try to get me into your Ten Lasso cult that you're clearly forming uh, at a compound outside of Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, <laughs> I know you're working on it. Uh, I, I'm curious what Al Ewing's Thor is going to be. We're headed there mm. uh, almost immediately. So that's going to be fun, I think. Uh, but you got
2: to... You've got to give a little bit more props to the art and the story. I mean fun, the action and the pacing. It's come on, man. It's Kirby esque. It's really great, yeah.
1: Uh, let's move on and talk about Phantom Road number five from Image Comics, written by Jeff oh, Lemire, man. art by Gabriel H. Walta. This uh, sort of a um, – I don't know what you want to say. Like an maybe interdimensional zombie mystery with um, a sort of plush bear hanging out suddenly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, With a detective, sort of an FBI story as well unfolding, investigation uh, of this strange occurrences. Uh, go ahead, Pete.
2: Yeah. First we got back up the truck here and say uh, – Phantom roads are the scariest of all the roads, right? We can agree on that. You know what I mean? Because it's, you know, roads can be scary on their own, but a phantom road is probably the most scariest of
1: roads. You mean a road that it, isn't it there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, Do you take a wrong turn down a phantom road? And you're <sighs> going to regret it because it's not on the you're, map. Yeah,
2: and don't think it's going to be a shortcut because it's not.
1: Yeah, I once did that and turned down a dotted line, and that was a mistake on a map. Yeah. This is back before phones.
2: Oh, I hear you, man. I hear you. There was life before phones. Um, Yeah, this is like crazy on top of crazy and I'm kind of like losing my mind a little bit because like I can understand like uh, the story the way it is, but then when you add a whistling bear for no reason, it really pulls me out of the story and takes away from the intensity a little bit because it's like There's a cartoon bear walking through the middle of this zombie apocalypse kind of thing. So it's like, what's real? What's not? It's this all kind of a night terror, if you will.
1: I think that cartoon bear is going to end up being part of the scary side, Pete. I don't think it's taking you out of it. I think it's going to pull you right back in.
2: Okay. Well, you don't think it's a little weird that like, okay, there's all these zombies, but then there's a whistling bear that the zombies don't seem to acknowledge at all or try to attack? If, if you had, had to zombie, break it down,
1: if you had to break it down, is it this unsettling part, the unsettling part—the whistling or the bear?
2: <laughs> That's tough, man. Because the combination is what really freaks me out. Mm. But uh,
1: yeah, I'm going to go with bear. I'm going to go with bear. There it is. Because we can whistle. Yeah, we sure <laughs> See? can. Wow, scary. <laughs> really scary. Now you're just uh, showing off. Yep, a little bit. I can barely whistle, honestly. That was, I can't hey, believe get came it. Get it?
2: Barely whistle? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Once Upon a Time at the End of the World, number seven from Boom Studios, written by Jason Aaron, art by Layla De Luca, Del Duca. This um, I this story is uh, sort of, a, you never know what you're going to get with it. It yeah. is a love story, it's in a much expanded world. We have our, our two sort of star-crossed lovers getting together. They have formed, a, you, this is the story of their utopia with the, um, it's impending doom hanging over the whole story in this issue. Uh, Pete, what do you think about this cuddle puddle?
2: <laughs> yeah. The hippie free love zone, uh, the Gorgonzola of, uh, of love there. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's yeah. The tension underneath all of it is, is interesting. Uh, I love the art style. It's, it's kind of this, uh, kind of tripped out kind of thing, but, um, Yeah, yeah. The the bad stuff's going to win, I feel like. You know what I mean?
1: Well, I mean, there's definitely – that's implied because we see a lot uh, that it's – we know it's coming apart because of the narration. But they formed a utopia called Golganuza, uh, which is a place where you can be yourself and uh, let do whatever you want. It's a really tailored utopia to their beliefs, which I think is really cool. Um, so I it's really not
2: like, gorgonzola, is what you're saying?
1: That's no, Golganuza. Say I love uh, a gorgon, I love a good blue cheese, but this is gorgonzola. Mm. I and do you love good blue cheese, don't you? Just great oh, okay. on a, a salad with Italian dressing. Oh, dude! Classic salad. Ups, no, dude. I'm
2: thinking about dipping wings
1: and stuff in there. I mean, come on, dude. Interesting. I've never dipped. Would you dip your wing into that? Into blue cheese? I dip it, yeah, I dip my wings into just ice Pizza? cold water. Ice into cold blue water. cheese. Yum! Oh, that, that's gross, man. You rinse uh, your food before you eat it? <laughs> I love It's like the opposite of hot sauce. It's just uh, <laughs> literally yeah, washed.
2: Washing away the flavor.
1: Yum, yum. Water. My favorite flavor. Uh, let's move on and talk about Clobbering Time number five from Marvel by yes. Steve Scroachy on the writing and artist. Scroach. The Scroach. Um, bring in a big story. Uh, to uh, to a close here, uh, which is um, very fun. I, the art, I feel like, yes. was so good in this issue. Yeah, the art's the real hero here. We finally reveal we have uh, Dr. Doom's face uh, yeah. handily redacted out of the comic. But lots of fun stuff here. I uh, The use of Galactus here, I forget uh, sometimes that the idea of Galactus is that he was the only survivor of the universe that occurred right before the big bang and he was somehow pulled over given cosmic powers
2: he was pulled over for speeding pulled
1: over for speeding well i mean he went so fast he broke into a whole new universe and uh he's then given the power slash curse of eating planets so sort of a strange story when you think about
2: it yeah because it's like he's the only one who survived and now he's killing worlds you know what i mean
1: yeah but I get it. When you're hungry, what do you think, Doctor? What do you think Galactus dips his planets in from a sauce perspective? Is it a blue cheese? Oh. Is, it, is it water? Yeah, I mean, it depends. Is I it? mean,
2: if it's a lava world, you know what I mean? You would think you, a cool, refreshing like blue cheese or a
1: ranch would be nice. You know what I mean? I want to see Galactus on hot ones, dipping oh. uh, we, dipping planets in <laughs> increasingly spicy sauces. That would
2: be amazing. Galactus on hot ones. Oh, my God. That would be the great. I
1: watched the shit out of that show, by the way. I've seen every yeah. episode. Oh, it's it's very fun. And, you know, yeah, people always go too far. Though, who did I hear when on it and just like ice cold ate every single one? Was it John Mulaney? Just like truly no reaction. Just like nothing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mulaney did it. But also there have been some like really impressive like uh, women going on there and just like destroying the wings and being like, what? Sorry, Jennifer Lawrence went
1: on and like yeah. had like a emo- very emotional experience. It looked like yeah. when I
2: was like, yeah yeah. Some people they they uh, say it's like you know they're kind of like high. Yes, yeah, tra- I mean you can eat sauce. something
1: so hot that you like transcend. That's how yeah, Galactus so. went from the last universe to this one. Is he ate a very hot wing, <laughs> <laughs> and just fully transcended. Uh, yeah. But anyway, I, I do like this comic. I would love to see more um, Steve Scroshi doing. Doing some standalone work like this, really great.
2: I agree. It's a fun kind of little pocket he gets operated. In. The amazing kind of cameos with the Doombots. We get Galactus. Like, just so much cool stuff going on. Uh, it's just such a fun thing. Even the kind of little hey, "That's my line" moment. I, I'm I'm having a blast with this. Every issue was the of this was a banger.
1: Agreed. Uh, let's talk about No One Number Four from Image Comics, written by Kyle Higgins and Brian Buccileto, art by uh, Geraldo Borges. This um is sort of the mass another corner of the massive verse the ever expanding massive verse uh this is almost uh, let me know what you think about this a Mark Millar story uh via oh, massive verse it's like Mark Millar where their ideas are actually taken care of a little bit and it's not just Yeah like, it's a little well, it's the coolest than, version yeah, this yeah, feels yeah. like it has some depth to it and is just great uh, a fun new corner of the massive verse dealing with like the press, superheroes, uh, where all that sort of all those things cross over.
2: Uh, yeah, I love the art style. I, I love It's a nice amount of action and story. And I'm, I'm intrigued by it enough to keep reading. And it kind of like it keeps me. Uh, uh, it, I think it does a good enough job of being like, you know what this is. You're, you're getting uh, kind of, we, we see different kind of parts of it. So I, I think that they do a good job of keeping all of these kind of things moving in an interesting direction. And uh, and still kind of keeping the overall story afloat. So, uh, yeah, I'm impressed with it.
1: Agreed. Survival number three from Dark Horse Comics, written by Sean Lewis, art by Brendan Everett. This, a bunch of survivalists go up into the woods, and whoops, there's uh, yeah. uh, vampires. Vampires vampires Uh, in the woods it's survivalist versus uh versus vampires some fun twists and turns here and i like some of the um some of the pages are really have interesting layouts to them just great horror stuff in the uh in the middle of nowhere which is where i am right now in the woods so you know i'm terrified
2: oh man yeah hopefully you don't run into some vampires and some talking heads uh yeah i think uh Crazy intense last page, interesting survival story, really solid art, creepy ass vampires, fun times. I'll keep reading. I'm I'm having a
1: good time with this. Uh, me too. Let's move on and talk about Daredevil number thirteen from Marvel, written by Chips oh and Arsky, art oh, by oh, Marco Chichetti. Uh, and I big news. This comic well is called Daredevil now, but it's um, with next issue uh, number fourteen, it becomes um, running around with naked Foggy. Is the new title of this comic because you got Foggy running around nude.
2: Wait, you, the title is not going to be running around with naked Foggy.
1: It is. That, check the, check the um, solicitations. That's what No, it's, it's
2: still going to be Daredevil,
1: man. Come on. No, it's running, though, with an apostrophe. So you got to Google it. It's sort of a fun romp where Foggy's just naked. He's like, I'm a lawyer.
2: Dude, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to hell, but you don't, you don't get to uh, keep your clothes.
1: I learned that in this issue as Daredevil. This is actually we're being sort of uh, flip about an actually very serious uh, meditation on Daredevil's faith. What drives him? We get a reveal here that he has not been guided by any sort of God. He's been just guided by another, a different demon behind the fist. The sister of the beast.
2: Religion against him.
1: You dupe devil is what we're talking about here, and uh, it's a really like, Chipsedarsky is doing such a great job of being very straight with, uh, Dar- with Matt Murdock's faith and sort of taking mm-hmm. it at its on its face and then putting him through the paces with what that means, and this issue is still part of the previous storyline, continuing uh, Mark of the Beast, I believe is the name of it. When yeah. this feels like a whole new thing, Daredevil's literally in hell fighting demons. He saves Foggy, Stick, and a bunch of other people who get pushed out of hell naked uh, again. Um, so I, I assume I don't know why that's so important to you, but you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think that this is,
2: which is interesting, is like you know, Stodarski here is. Um, uh, exploring his faith and kind of using that against him as a weakness, which is interesting because sometimes, uh, daredevil is more religious than other times. This one, it seems like it's turned up a little bit, which is, you know, uh, interesting part of the character. It's definitely uh, a cool thing to explore for sure. But then when he gets his like faith knives out of his head and he and he makes like little horns, that's where I was kind of like, what, are we doing here and then he loses an arm for some reason but that doesn't seem to matter because it's not bleeding it's just like a action figure arm that pops off it seems Mm. like yeah so i i felt like this went a little too far in that aspect but i did like the fact that he finally um Went to go rescue his friend Foggy, and Foggy was like, "I knew you coming." I was like, "Oh, Foggy, I hate to break it to you, but he
1: kind of just stumbled across your buddy." It was yeah, like, it was a total know, accident. Do it you was think a, all lawyers happy accident? Happy accident is a Foggy accident. Do you think all lawyers are this uh, care this much about their partners?
2: Um, I don't. I don't know. Um, but you would like to think that if. Um, that Matt Murdock cares about Foggy because Foggy clearly cares about Matt Murdock and you would nice, and you'd like to a relationship to have both, you know, it go both ways. You know what I mean?
1: Like, do you think Salino and Barnes, the injury attorneys um, in New York (laughs) state, New York city famously, um, one of them did die. Do you think Salino's like, I'm going to hell to rescue Barnes and pull Uh, his naked ass out? I,
2: I hope so. I really do. I hope so. Because, Maybe
1: Selena realizes that uh, he needs Barnes. You know what I mean? I they sadly broke up uh, right before Barnes. I I actually don't even really know what I'm talking about. Let's okay. talk about I hate this place number ten from Image Comics, <laughs> written by Kyle Starks, uh, art by art Yim Topolin. Like what? A, this is the final issue of this book. That's uh, I think the first trade has come out. There's a second trade coming up this fall. Man, this is such a great comic. Uh, like a wild place where ghosts and time travel and all these different genre ideas are at play together centered around this relationship between these two characters who inherit some property and realize it sucks from top to bottom but great story loved how it ended like the sort of tip of the hat to a future story one of my faves
2: yeah i agree i really loved how this ended um i just think that like it's some amazing character designs. I love that creepy ass like skull monster kind of thing. Uh, really thought it amazing. This is an intense issue, but uh, yeah, really stuck the landing. I want more from this team. It's really uh, very cool and interesting, and uh, I was impressed
1: with it. Agreed. Uh, let's move on to Hairball Number Four from Dark Horse Comics oh, by our guy, baby. by our guy Matt Kent, art by Tyler Jenkins. In this story: A cat has been um, sort of with this girl, Bestie is the name of the cat, um, her whole life. And it's about her growing up and unraveling the mystery of what Bestie is. Pete, how did you feel about this issue? Another banger-ish. I love this comic. Suck it, Chad.
2: Uh, Yeah, I think that – you know, cats are kind of like a demigod for sure. You know, uh, you got to worship or die is really what it comes down mm, to. You either yeah. love the crap out of that cat, or uh, it's going to be the death of you. So, I think this uh, comic really does a great job of understanding what it's like to—I uh, wouldn't say own a cat, but live with a cat. You know what I mean?
1: So, um, do you ever own a cat, Pete? Or does the yeah, cat exactly? Just... That's it. Yeah, the cat
2: owns you, bro. And you're a cat
1: guy, famously.
2: Um, uh, famously, for sure. Uh, but yeah, just amazing art, fantastic series. You know, I love how it leaned into the art and not so much the words. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, let the art tell the story. And those the cat's eyes, like, especially with that one eye, does that. Oh, it's creepy as shit, man. It's
1: real creepy Indeed. shit. Indeed. A great creepy read. I love this series. Let's talk Spider-Man number 10 uh, from Marvel Comics, written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage, art by Mark Bagley. Classic Spidey team on this book that is ostensibly a book about Peter Parker, Spider-Man. But since issue seven, this has basically been a who is Spider-Boy? Spider-Boy! Spider-Boy is hanging pretty hard here. Uh, We're getting some classic Dan Slott Spider stuff. Now, we speculated – there's a big mystery about who Spider-Boy is, and I think we speculated here on this podcast a couple months back that um, Spider-Boy is – because Spider-Boy's whole, whole thing is like he's like, I'm your sidekick. I've been here the whole time, and Spider-Man's like, no, you're not. I don't know who you are. No one knows who you are. Spider-Boy, it was recently announced he's getting his own spin-off comic. but I think we're going to get the reveal of the mystery probably next issue is my guess because we get a big clue here. Something that we, I think, speculated and guessed maybe correctly that Spider-Boy – is the spider that bit Peter Parker, who, uh, as Peter Parker took on the um, the qualities of a spider, uh, the spider that bit him also took on the qualities of a human and became Spider-Boy. Because Spider-Boy, in this issue, bites a dude. Bites Electro. Bites a dude. Straight up bites a dude. He's got spider teeth. And Spider-Man I think I had he's that a awkward spider.
2: moment of like, uh, dude, you just bit somebody. Are they dead now? He's like, nah, nah, chill out. It's better, man. It's cool, uh, bad, man.
1: man. When you buy people,
2: it's so fine. No, Just cares. biting people up in this yeah. piece. Yeah, I feel like this is uh, you know, kind of a classic dance slot-ish. There's a lot going on, a lot of talking, a lot of fun jabs, a lot of back and forth. You know, dance slots having a great time. And then you got some fun electrical old school costume kind of stuff. So has a youngness to it, a lot going on. Kind of a classic dance lot-ish. And uh, you you want to know who you, I think Spider-Boy is? I think it's Dan Slott. That's what I think it is. That'd
1: be a twist. Uh, you know, yeah. writers love to write themselves into their stories. Uh, Pete, do you mm. like Spider-Boy? Uh,
2: it seems a little annoying, but uh, mm. you can't go around biting people, you know what I
1: mean? That's true. You're sort of focused on it from a public safety standpoint. I mean, yeah, more as yeah. a comic book character. But mm. you, But that's fine if you're like, no, it's. Uh, I'm concerned for... The people around him.
2: I mean, I'd be pissed if, like, if I was, like, had to live in comic book world and then, like, had to worry about, like, okay, yeah, sure, like, all these superheroes are real. But then, like, some random boy biting me would really kind of be the line. You know what I mean?
1: Wow. Great to know where your lines are, Pete, all the time. Yeah. I think he's more spider than boy is my take. But let's jump over to Torrent number five from Image Comics. How are you feeling
2: about it, dude? Do you feel like it's it's cool Spider-Boy? It's a good look?
1: Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's always tough when a character is introduced and it's all about their central mystery. And it's, is there enough underlying the mystery for this character to continue on where he's getting his own series? So we will definitely have the opportunity. So curious about that. Um, So I'm I'm cautiously interested, I guess I would say. Okay. But... Tour number five, written by Mark Guggenheim, art by Justin Greenwood. This this comic, right over the peat plate, what I call mm-hmm. the garbage mm-hmm. plate in a lot of ways, because this is like a, a Punisher, a superhero that becomes a Punisher, yeah. essentially, going on a, uh, a quest for revenge after her identity is exposed and her son is killed. Her, her husband and son are both killed, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the final issue of the uh, this series, but... Again, teeing up perhaps a future story. Pete, what did you think?
2: Yeah, I loved uh, to see this main character be such a badass and like tore through a bunch of boss level type action. I mean, holy shit. Just uh, people dropping everywhere. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was really cool. Very badass. Loved it. Um and the art was is really very enjoyable. Love the kind of character design. It's got kind of like a cool boxiness to it. I also thought the kind of preview we got in the back. Oh, Pip. What's up, Pip? Uh, the preview of the Bluebird people was also fun. So uh, total package. You got a lot in this comic. Uh, I'd say it's worth it. And hopefully we get, this isn't the last of Torrent.
1: How'd you feel about the final choice? And this is a bit of a spoiler of, uh, just killing that dude.
2: Yeah. Just, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, in real life, I don't think you can get away with it, but in comics, it's a safe place to kill people. And I thought, yeah, like after everything she's
1: been through, why not? You know what I mean? Interesting. You're down with, uh, this neck break, but a boy, a spider boy biting a neck bridge too far. Yep. Uh, Let's jump over and talk Mosley number 5 from Boom Studios, written by Rob uh, Guillory, art by Sam Lofty and Rob Guillory. Uh, This comic, uh, sort of a cross between a Thor-type character who is going up against uh, the AI technological nightmare that has taken over the world. Pete, what did you think about this one? Mm Mm-hmm.
2: I love this. I love Mosley. He's kind of like a grizzled, kind of over it, uh, old school dude. He's got a magical hammer. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I I love the action. I I thought it had a real nice ending. Uh, I love the sup guy at the end there. It was pissing all over the place. Uh, You know, we got a nice uh, saying goodbye to your magical hammer moment. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Great character design. Love the art. Amazing story. What's not to like here, buddy?
1: Agreed. Uh, This was sort of a wild story in the combination of uh, high tech and mythical elements. I like, like a lot of sort of fairy tales, it came to an end and everybody put away their magical items and went back to life with just um, a guy peeing to be. uh, Yeah, uh, I mean, that's the the reality. You know what I mean? Like, I'm pretty sure when we're done with this, you're going to go back to a kid peeing. You know what I mean? Wow, truer words have never been said on this podcast. Uh, let's jump over to Doctor Strange number five from Marvel, written by Jed, my guy, Jed McKay, art by Pasquale Ferry. Doctor Strange is going to a wedding. His yeah, just like us, we go to weddings. We, we go do to weddings like normal people. We're like Doctor Strange. Yeah, uh, this is uh, his wife, Clea's mom, getting remarried to um, some people that tried to kill and successfully killed Doctor Strange. So that's yeah. awkward. I think just it's from gotta the be wedding, got to be awkward. Yeah, uh, your greatest enemy. The seating arrangements have got to be tough.
2: You know what um, I mean? A wedding the like table,
1: that? exactly. Where do you
2: um, sit, Dormammu? You know what I mean?
1: And Dormammu, who is the a uh, uh, Dormammu who is the officiant uh, who bails <laughs> when the going gets tough, oh, and he's sort man. of a dick about it, like the. The way he was is, is not nice. He, he talks yeah. shit. You don't talk shit in the, the whole
2: time. Like, if you're going to officiate
1: a whole wedding, man, you got to, like, tone that down. Tone it down a little bit, Dormammamoo. Yeah. Uh But you save it for, the like, a best man speech situation. That's what yeah, you talk Yeah, yeah.
2: Or, like, after it, the ceremony's over, it's sit in the back, have some
1: drinks, and then talk shit. But, like, come out. Just roast. So a little FYI for anyone inviting Pete to their wedding. He's going to sit in the back and roast you. He's going to sit in the back and roast you on the way out. So watch out. If you spot him in the back, he's roasting you. You call this salmon? Is what he's saying? In the back? Uh, Huge news there. Um, I love this Doctor Strange series. I mean, it's no surprise. I'm a big Jed McKay head. Very happy to see um, him getting more and more work at Marvel. But I really like this—the Doctor Strange and Clea being like together, little bit mm-hmm. of tension, mystery. Like, is she just killing people who killed her husband? Uh, yeah. They have a great edge to their relationship. But Pasqual Ferry's art,
2: loving. Come it. on, dude. Come on. That's why we're here. I mean, the art is beautiful. It is just unbelievable. I mean, some just. Unbelievable panels that you want to just, like, turn into posters and put them on your wall. Just absolutely gorgeous. And I also, I like how vain Doctor Strange is. You know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. making fun of being in front of the mirror for so long. Just, this is fun. This is a really fun comic. And it's uh, just uh, such, a, such a bright Uh, Kind of, uh, you know, and all the dark uh, stuff uh, in the Night Terrors, this one really kind of stands
1: out as a nice uh, kind of treat. Agreed. Speaking of treats, let's move over to a tree which makes apples, which is our favorite treat. Blood tree, number six. That's a (laughs) shout-out to Alex, who's, like, hopefully not up to his ankles in water right now.
2: Oh, man.
1: Uh, uh, Blood tree, number six, which is written by Peter J. Tomasi, art by Maxim Simic. Uh, this is a series about a serial killer that has, puts angel wings on his victims and the man who um, has some struggles in his own life, both uh, with his family, uh, his, his kid, his child, who is maybe showing some darker tendencies and uh, some revelations about his parentage. Uh, this brings the series to a close. Uh, what did you think about this, Pete?
2: Man, I really enjoyed how this ended. You know, sometimes in these comics you think like and I'm spoiling the shit out of this right now, but you you know you have this like very interesting bad guy that they don't want to kill off cuz he's such a great part of the story. So happy he died. I fucking mm. loved it. Well, uh, he didn't die at the end, I don't think. Uh, well, he got shot three times and then dragged away, but uh, yeah. you know.
1: I don't know. I'd like to think you don't come back from that. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, he got he got arrested, I think, was part of the move here from our, our detective because the guy was like, kill me. But, I mean, I think the tension we're dealing with here is he's the son of a killer that he right. didn't realize. And the story is all about the serial killers killing other people who are descendants or related to killers to try to, like, purify the bloodline, the blood tree, basically. And so he's trying to be out here and he stops himself from killing this killer. To prove that like, hey, my genetics, my lineage is not defining. And then we get this great twist at the end that maybe um, his son is, again, like doing some stuff that he's worried about, especially given the revelation that he is descended from a killer. So uh, I let this really came together in a nice sort of all the threads in a nice knot at the end. And um, I enjoyed it.
2: Yeah. Messed up last panel. uh, It's really impressive. Uh, very uh, interesting, woven this story. I was yeah, super impressed with that. It's definitely for six issues. It's a it's a heck of a ride. Worth checking out for sure. Agreed. Maleficent but, number three from
1: Dynamite. Oh yes, i was just going to say, really love the art style. There it is. Malefic- Maleficent number three from Dynamite by Sue Lee. This is something that Alex has been loving. This issue. Really, we thought it was going to be more of an anthology series with standalone stories about Maleficent, the villain from Sleeping Beauty uh, movie and story. But it's really sort of an ongoing uh, tale about some people that have come to Maleficent to challenge her or who are lost in the woods and what happens to them. This focusing on a, a boy that she turned into a cat and her, her raven that uh, continues to taunt him in cat form. Uh, yeah. Pete, you love cats. Meow.
2: So this is my favorite issue of the week. This was my favorite comic. I loved this comic. This was so amazing. What an amazing issue. Almost no words. Such a cool Bobcat versus Crow story. You think you've seen them all, but man, this one adds a nice little kind of angle and twist. So it's such a... Deep, meaningful, it's a profound artistic story uh, on full display here. I just, I loved it. I loved it because, like, you know about the before, about who the bobcat is. But even if you just not even knowing that, it's still a beautiful story. You know, this uh, cat versus bird thing that you, if you have a cat, you know, is real. It's real. Uh, they hate each other and always looking to uh, take each other out. So, uh, yeah, I think this was such an awesome idea and so well executed. Just really impressive uh, artistically. I, I just I agree. was so
1: blown away by it. Beautiful storytelling, uh, especially Sue Lee doing the the writing and the art behind it. So really like that. Uh, let's talk Fantastic Four, number nine from Marvel, written by Ryan North, art by Ivan Fiorelli. No, no,
2: I just want to, before we move on, because this is such a cool thing, I'm really hoping that this is where the future of comics is going, where it's going to be- No words. Less words, more artistically driven. You know what I mean? Where you can walk away- Maybe with a different idea than what the they sent out to. You know what I mean? Because like this is such an interesting story. I kind of want to run up to people, hand it to them, and be like, "What do you
1: think this is about?" You know, you want to run up to people, like surprise them. Yeah, yeah,
2: and be like, "Have you read this? What do you think of this?" You know, strangers on the street. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just so. I hope it's the future because it's uh, it's really just such an interesting thing that I think is a little different or against what kind of maybe the comics started. So uh, I'm not
1: really hoping this is where we're going to go. Well, let me say, Pete, I've just been doing a little research here. You should check out this mm-hmm. thing, uh, if you like comics without words, called um, paintings. Ah. I guess it's like, it's like uh, comics, but there are no words, and they're big. So you have to go to a building. Wow. And All right. You can well, I'm going to look them.
2: into that because that sounds yeah. perfect. I
1: think that's, it's the future. That's or what I'm the, looking for. Or the past, the deep, deep past. Fantastic Four number nine from Marvel Comics, as I said, written by Ryan North, art by Ivan Fiorelli. I think this Ryan North run on Fantastic Four is a Hickman-esque run. Like, it's a little bit meta. It's diving into the Fantastic Four, and including Alicia Masters, who's the narrator of this this issue, and really getting into what makes them tick, the different – and just using so many different ways to look at these characters, really smart uh, ways, using – uh, comics and the the medium to tell a great story really well thought out twists and turns i've been loving every issue of this
2: well that's great i i do think that this you know it gets a little meta here you know i mean you got grim uh sitting around reading a comic i mean it must be nice you know what i mean that guy's yeah. got all the time in the world he can just sit around read comics you know he doesn't have to worry about fighting crime or anything uh do you yeah. feel like
1: Alicia loves him because he is like a big lump of clay?
2: Maybe. I don't know why she loves him, but I'm happy that she does. I like That's them nice. together a lot.
1: That's beautiful. Uh, while we're talking love, maybe we jump over to Love Everlasting, number nine. From Image Comics. Written by Tom King, art by Elsa Uh This has been an ongoing story of our main character, Joan, who is... Then in love, it's examining love and different what love means from different times in your life. This is about um, her being married. Um, her the husband is uh, oh. sick, diagnosed with um, lung cancer, I believe. And uh, their their child's wedding and where it ends up. And you know, this is Tom King's big um, dive into romance comics and what they mean. And this issue, devastating, end, I thought really oh, well yeah. done. And it's not – you know, there are some supernatural or sort of interesting magical elements potentially to this. This just sort of stands alone as a heartbreaking, devastating story about life and love.
2: Yeah, I mean I'm getting a little worried about Tom King, you know. Uh, Are you all right? Did somebody hurt you? Um, You know what I mean? Like because he loves the sad love story. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Just, uh, you know, he sits in that kind of those tough moments, man. And uh, it's heartbreaking as shit. Uh, but you got to say the art is super tight bananas. Just really uh, unbelievable. But, yeah, this
1: sad love story keeps on going. It does. Just like all of the love stories in our lives, which, Ooh. um, Yeah. Think about that. Uh, and finally, let's close it out talking about Star Trek Defiant number five from IDW, written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Angel Unzueta. This uh bringing the uh, – we've talked a lot about this Star Trek universe, how it's like these two books are – all the characters you love from every iteration of Star Trek together on different ships. This is sort of the X-Force of Star Trek teams with uh, Worf, Roe. You got Lore here, Spock's in here being sort of like Mm -hmm. making big decisions. Um, I teased this earlier by saying we have Worf here, uh, played by the actor Michael Dorn, who is a writer on Steelworks. Uh, Pete, what do you think about Star Trek? I know maybe you're not a big Star Trek guy.
2: Yeah, I mean these Star Trek books that we've been talking about continue to be like a great examples of uh, continuations from the stories that we know from the television and movies. So they they've been really well well done, very impressive. Love the art style where you know the characters, but the art's a little different, but you still know who it is in kind of a cool artistic way. I I, I just uh, you know. As someone who doesn't love a Star Trek, maybe as some as much as others, I'm still uh, enjoying these comics a lot. You know, so uh, it's uh, it's I think they it's doing you it a service, and hopefully, it feeds into more people checking out Star Trek and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think this was a, a great a great issue.
1: Uh, I agree. I've been liking these. They, if you're like a huge Next Generation or Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. fan, like this is like a great continuation of those series in a uh, comic book form. We're setting up for a, a crossover event uh, called day of blood, which sounds cool, right? <laughs> yeah, It does. Sounds intense for our, yeah. our nice star Trek universe. So I agree. I've been enjoying these a lot. Looking forward to more and that's it for the stack. Uh, folks. Um, if you Woo-hoo! want to check us out, uh, Check us out. We do a live show every Tuesday night at seven o'clock, uh, which you can find um, on a bunch of different outlets, um, including Apologies our YouTube channel. Except for
2: today because it's uh, July Fourth, but it is the Fourth uh, yeah. of July. Otherwise, so it's pretty regularly every Tuesday. Yeah,
1: we are on the Reg. Um, we uh, so please check that out. We have a ton of other podcasts. Our Riverdale podcast. Uh, we have our Marvel Vision podcast. Currently talking about the show Secret Invasion. Uh, DC podcast, Sons of a Gun, talking about uh, DC news and everything that's going on over there. Uh, so please come. There'll a huge backlog. Check out all of them at uh, comicbookclublive.com. Uh, uh, shouts to um, Alex, who uh, hopefully is doing all right. And uh, let me just quote him and say that all of your opinions yeah, Alex, are valid. hopefully
2: your basement is okay.
1: Yeah. All of your opinions are valid. Yeah.
2: And uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Justin, all of your opinions are valid. And also, if you're like, man, you guys have a lot of things to check out. Is there one place we can go? Yeah, go to the website comicbookclublive.com. where we have everything there for all your nerdy needs. Uh, so, yeah,
1: check that out. Nerdy needs. Uh, see you next time.